Well, Steve, uh, welcome to the Monday Minute, although it is Sunday evening. <laughs> yeah, just got done eating some delicious elk steak that I rubbed in your face because you didn't uh, get to kill an elk this year. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> my, uh, my kids, the whole, that came from, um, I think we got Jeff Bloomquist on, our buddy. He talked about salting. Um, so I just took the elk. It was back straps off the bull I killed in October. Took them out. Um, let them, but probably about an hour before I cooked, I cooked them at five 30. So about four 30, I took them out, um, put some, just a good heavy dose of sea salt on both sides of it, rubbed it in and then let it sit there for an hour, added some pepper and then just cooked it on the cast iron, um, skillet on the stove in the kitchen. And whew, my kids like devoured it. My wife devoured it. Like, um, that's just absolutely fantastic. Certainly a super easy, delicious way to cook them up whatever carry on (laughs) (laughs) well guys this is a a monday minute episode we are pre-recording this simply because uh you and i both steve have an insane week with xo super busy uh but wanted to get this out there if you're new to the podcast these monday minute episodes are meant to be shorter more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions so that's what we're doing today uh Last week on the Monday Minute, we announced the $10,000 gear giveaway uh, to highlight and support other independent companies in the hunting and outdoor industry. And that's still going on. So the the deadline to enter is December 23rd. So if you're hearing this and you haven't either entered or checked that out yet, be sure to do it. Um, the reception so far has been fantastic. Uh, I re- I to me, like being able to put this on is really stinking exciting. And for two reasons, one is to help other companies and then also to be able to give away as much cool stuff as we're giving away to you guys listening and whoever's in turn. So I, I love this giveaway. I, don't, I like talking about it because I feel like it's super valuable. Yeah. I mean, as I've talked about in the previous podcast, it's the, the topic of, you know, small independent business is something that I am, um, I don't know, passionate about or whatever, right? Um, and then pretty anti uh, kind of large corporation type companies. So, um, yeah, I think it's fantastic that we're doing this and it's fun fun to do. Yeah. yeah. So, again, that's still going on. Uh, just hit the link in the show description. We'll make that prominent here on the podcast description. If you guys want to check that out, see all the prizes and get entered, you can do that. Uh, let's kick this off, Steve, with a speak pipe question that came in about shooting and rifles and using a bipod or quick sticks. Mark, I got a question for you about your Mountain Gear bipod. Has that replaced your Wiser Precision quick sticks and trekking poles, or do you still carry that? And do you use both when you're in the backcountry? What's the comparison between the two when you would use? one over the other or are you even using the uh quick sticks now that you have the bipod thanks for all you guys do all right so yeah quick sticks and bipod we've talked uh pretty extensively in the past about quick sticks steve and how much we have used them or relied on them for shooting um and throughout that whole time i've always carried a bipod whether that's been more recently that mountain gear bipod or previously um the javelin bipod from Spartan Precision, and you've done the same. I don't at all view quick sticks as a replacement for a bipod or necessarily vice versa. So for me, 
quick sticks are going to be a higher shooting support position. So if I'm seated or kneeling, that's quick sticks. If I happen to be able to get prone, which is pretty rare for me in a hunting situation, that's when a bipod is more beneficial. Uh, I think pretty much the same for you, Steve, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I pack the bipod knowing that it's, you know, I was actually, as you were talking, I'm, I'm like rambling through my head of memories of my last, you know, how many last handful of animals I've shot off the bipod. Um, and it's, I bet you it's like 10 to 15% are the killed one, off the bipod. Yeah. The last one I know of personally that you did was our caribou hunt in 2019. I don't know if you have since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so caribou in 19, my doll sheep this year was, was off the bipod. We were, you know, basically climbing off this knife ridge and kind of cliffy and it was down below us and I had the bipod. Um, I'm trying to think of I've killed the bear. I killed this year. Uh, quick sticks, the deer I killed quick sticks, the elk I killed quick sticks and the doll sheep was the only thing off the bipod. So it, just in the rea- the reality of hunting steep mountainous country to mm-hmm. shoot off of a bipod, like the, f- the fact that you need to be laying flat on your stomach and be, you know, like, it's got to be somewhat of, I mean, it, it can be an uphill, like my doll, the doll sheep was downhill, not, I mean, I guess it was kind of steep down, but it, it worked out to where I could like lay flat and I was laying downhill and then, you know, so the guns already aimed downhill and it's just really rare to be in the mountains and be like, oh, there's this perfect little spot I'm going to lay down and shoot from, you know, and, and there's a lot of like mule deer guys I know that like, all right, there's a buck on that hillside and I don't care if I shoot from 500 or 800 yards, I'm going to like, I'm going to find a flat spot up here and, and get down on the bipod and make a little sniper's perch, you know, kind of heard that term before. Um, so there's certainly guys that can do it. It's just the style of hunting that, that I'm doing. And, and, you know, you're obviously right there with me is, you know, just kind of moving through the mountains and a bipod is absolutely awesome to have when you can use it. But the reality is it's just not going to be that often. The quick sticks is going to be way, way more popular. Um, what else did I shoot? Oh, I shot that coyote this year too off the off a tripod. Obviously, that's a new thing. That's that was freaking sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, for quick sticks. I <laughs> I hate making very strong like you should always type opinions, but I really feel that you should always have quick sticks. I just, there's no yeah, reason well, not to like they weigh, they weigh a couple two and of a half ounces, ounces. Yeah. and they cost like thirty or thirty five bucks. And you should have trekking poles. And if you don't, you should. So it's like, if you have trekking poles and you have $30 to spare, you should have quick sticks with you all of the time, period, end of story. And I've shot four more animals off of that than anything for zero cost and practically no weight. One one thing that was uh, interested on that, so that mountain bipod, I'm assuming he's asking the question because it gets a lot taller, right? It does, Um, yeah than the um spartan one what's it like the spartan ones maybe like one i've got maybe goes from like six inches to eight inches yeah six like to that. nine and they do have a six tall version but yeah, yeah i will yeah. yeah finish your thought and then i'll what's get the, the yeah, yeah what's your yeah, mountain gear one go to uh it's well that's the thing is it probably gets up to 13 ish on the high end i'd have okay. to look and then so not that drastic not only that. because yeah it probably does go higher now they think about it so here's the thing with the mountain gear bipod it is incredibly more adjustable and versatile than what I had been using in the Spartan. And the Spartan's great. The Mountain Gear bipod weighs actually a little bit less 
and is far, far, far more adjustable, not only in height, but also it, you know, um, the legs can change out at different angles so it can get higher. It can actually also get lower. And that's one question we get a lot on the Spartan is, Hey, should I get the, the standard or the short legs or the tall legs? Um, cause they do offer two different heights. Whereas with the mountain gear bipod, you have one, one option, one set of legs, it can go tall or it can go short. And part of the reason it can go short is because the way the legs, the spread of the legs can get more narrow, which is going to be taller, obviously, or wider, which is going to be much shorter. Um, and then that just, yeah, the level of adjustability in that bipod for the, I think five ounces is it's pretty crap. stinking unbelievable. Yeah. And it was really, really key for my mountain goat this year, because I was essentially in, I was on a steep slope, kind of sideways, side hill, and literally had to, like at one point, I was trying to get in position, and it was so steep that I was sliding down as I was trying to get prone across these rocks, and uh, Mark, the guide, was like, he was literally taking boulders and putting them under my feet to try and keep me from sliding down, and the shot opportunity, I had to thread a shot. I need to be really stable. And I ultimately just was like, there's too much movement here. I need to get in a different position and getting a different position involved me getting up and kind of wedging and sitting kind of sideways. And anyway, with the being a side hill shot off of boulders, the adjustability in that mountain gear bipod actually was really, really important on this. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, and I've said this a lot, for the weight, something like the Spartan, something like the Mountain Gear Bipod makes a lot of sense. And especially because I don't have to have it affixed to the rifle. But if it was a question of, hey, a bipod is going to weigh a pound and must be attached to your rifle, I just flat out wouldn't carry one. I can shoot off my pack and do a lot of other things. Yeah, I'd be in the same place. Replace a bipod. Yeah. So, yeah, what my thought on the Mountain Gear one was as I was looking at the, you know, I saw yours. Uh, when did I see that? When you came out for the all cut. Um, and uh, I saw yours and was like, ah, oh, this thing's incredible. And then started looking at the specs and I realized that that got lower to the ground than the Spartan one I've been using. And if I had any complaint, it's the few times I do get a lay prone, I've actually had to f- like build up the rear rest higher because mm-hmm. I couldn't get the gun low enough. Uh, so when I saw that, I was like, oh man, I'm freaking sold because not, not only can it go higher, which, you know, sometimes that situation certainly could, you know, arise, but that more often than not, I've been struggling to get the rear bag tall enough to, to support the rear of the rifle to, to work with that. So the fact that it gets even lower is, um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So all that rambling to say, one, you should have <laughs> quick sticks, period. End of story. Two, yeah. if you can't invest in a lightweight tripod that is extremely quick to deploy and offers a lot of adjustment it is going to cost you if you can't do that there's a lot of ways to shoot prone without a bipod shoot off your pack etc but if you can invest in a bipod that is light quick adjust and very adjustable in terms of setup and position i do think it's worth it it's just that you may be shooting off of it in the field and hunting situations less than you'd think has been our experience anyway. So, yeah. All right, Steve. So, uh, what was that? Just almost said last week, but it's not last week, December 1st, Idaho non-resident tags were on sale. 
Shortly after that, this guy wrote in and said, hey, I just got my first Idaho rifle elk tag this year, and I have a buddy who has the same tag. He has some experience, and we've talked about going together on this hunt. How would you recommend increasing the odds that we both get an opportunity to find and shoot an elk, but still are able to help each other out? Should we focus on one tag and get it filled and then try to fill the second one? Or should we hunt in different areas, though in the same general vicinity, and then if one of us tags out, the other can come help pack out that elk? So two guys, same tag. Should they hunt together, put their combined efforts into killing one elk? Should they part ways, try to fill some tags, but then be ready to adapt and go help as needed? I, it, I don't know. There's not an answer here. There's some pros and cons. Where's your head go, Steve? If it was mule deer, it'd be hunt separate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause you're, you're not once one guy, I mean, who knows how far you're apart and how much time you lose packing out, you know, that one guy like hiking out from where he's at, hiking in to meet you a whole day, day and a half packing meat. Uh, there's a lot of time lost there where in the past you and I, you know, we've killed bulls, um, like last year, we killed your bull, quartered it up, hung it in the tree, and then kept hunting for a day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, year before th- we went yeah, back to back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the uh, I think with elk and the body size, just the logistics of packing out, I think you hunt together. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, you flip a coin or you just play the who spots at first shoots, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. I think that's, with elk, it'd be, it's a toss-up, I guess, but... Uh, like I said, for deer split up because you are certainly going to be covering more country and it's certainly handy to have someone else sitting next to you with an extra set of eyes. But at the same time, um, you know, I think you increase your odds 20 to 30% with an extra set of eyes where you probably increase your odds significantly more if you're hunting separate drainages for deer, but you don't have that whole, you kill it, you pack it out yourself and you're not affecting the other person's hunt or mm-hmm. the elk. It's, it's just different, you know, different beast. Um, tough call. Yeah, you just yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. I, I would lean towards hunting in pairs, uh, hunting mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and that I mean, again, there's a lot of options here. Like you can even have the conversation of, hey, if we hunt together, as you said, Steve, we can you know, a have the conversation of shot opportunity. Have that conversation beforehand. How are we doing this? Is it I'm up today you're up tomorrow is it whoever spots it has the first rider refusal you know figure out how you guys want to break that down and then maybe have the conversation hey if we go hunt together and we're invested as a team and if by some chance one of us fills a tag are we willing to split meat like that's a conversation you can have up front right like get all that stuff out there um but i do think hunting together is more effective with elk there's still potential doubling up, which keep in mind how much work that's going to be, but there's potential that could happen. Um, and like, to me, it's just, especially with elk versus like deer, as you mentioned, a more active kind of engaged hunt, like it's just fun to share that, you know? So mm-hmm. don't overlook the whole, 
am I solo and struggling versus like maybe you guys go and have a slow couple of days to start the hunt, but at least you're there together and joking and can bounce ideas off of each other and just share the experience. So I think there's a lot of benefits to going together. That's what I would prefer to do is just before you do that, have all those conversations about shot opportunity, how that works, splitting meats, how much time would be spent packing out, um, you know, helping with quartering. There's just a lot to chat through before the hunt starts, I'd say. Yeah. As a, when you and I have hunted together, it's been easy because it's like we're in Idaho and you're out here for a week. So it's like, of course, you're up first, but it's like, yeah, whole different deal with, um, you know, you, you two guys traveling together and how have you done it? Well, I guess you've been bow hunting with Jared yeah. in Colorado. You guys yeah, I mean, just our, obviously hunt together with, and bow hunting's different because you're in a shooter collar situation. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rifles, obviously, you're, you know, a lot less likely to be doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for us, it's always been, we will say, we'll basically take turns on encounters, archery hunting. We have always had the conversation of, hey, if we fill one tag, we'll split the meat, no drama. We also know, again, in archery perspectives, like just because you say, hey, it's your turn now, go be the shooter, like the collar could be filling the tag, you know, that happens easily uh, with archery elk hunting where you think you're giving your buddy the turn, but you end up filling a tag. So, Um, yeah, yeah, just the more communication, the better, but I think sharing the experience and just from an effectiveness perspective, work as a team, work together, fill a tag and then fill a second tag. Yeah. And like I said, in that pair setting, like, like you said, but reiterate, like the more you can communicate about not only like splitting meat, but there's been times, um, you know, heck the, the bull I missed last year with you, like your shooter first, but there was two elk down there and we both got set up and, and you were, you were on such that steep slope that like I was yeah. ready to go. And you're like, man, I'm sh- like, I can't get stable here. If you're sh- ready to shoot, Send shoot. It. And then, yeah, I shot. Right. Like, but mm-hmm. having that communication, especially like in a bow hunting situation, if you're the caller, um, you know, and you've got like, I always knock an arrow and have my bow leaning up against a tree. And even though like, it'll just be kind of sitting there and I'll walk five yards left and right. But if there's ever that scenario, it's like I've pre I've talked to the shooter and like, Hey, if a, if a bull comes in and I've got a good ethical shot, um, are you okay with me taking it? You know? And hopefully if, if it's a good hunting partner, he's gonna be like, hell yeah, freaking shoot. You know, let's, we got elk to kill. So, yeah. Yeah. I think having the conversation is really important, but at the end of the day, if you, if you truly get to know somebody and you realize that you are in it together, there are decisions that can need to be made quickly that are maybe different or weren't discussed. And if you have a good partnership, it's like, shouldn't be much drama. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's easier said than done sometimes to be hunting with that, that right person. Speaking of Idaho, non-resident tag sale, <laughs> it was a bit of a mess, uh, as I'm sure everyone who remotely cared knows and experienced. It did not go as planned. Um, we we got quite a few emails on it, questions on it. We are not the experts on it. I will read uh, a portion of one email. This guy wrote in and said, the bottom line is this just didn't work. Talking about the Idaho non-resident tag sales. He went on to say, what I want to know is, how should I go about contacting Idaho Fish and Game to express my dissatisfaction with the current tag allocation process and give them my suggestions on how I think they could fix the issue? 
I tried finding a good place to send a letter on the Idaho Fish and Game website, but I did not find one. I don't want the letter to fall on deaf ears. I feel like it's extremely important that everyone who is unhappy with the current process, including myself, does this so that Idaho Fish and Game is aware of the public's standpoint on this. So again, this is just a snippet of one of many emails we got. I like this snippet because I do think it's important that if you are involved and engaged uh, to make your voice heard, and I'm sure that many, many, many hunters are. Um, and my impression from Idaho Vision Game is that they do want the feedback. Obviously, I don't, they're not going to be surprised by it, right? Like the level of dissatisfaction, I think, is, is very well known. And it didn't go according to how they hoped it would go. But like many things, instead of us talking about this like internally or on a forum or to your buddy, like if you're just going to go complain to someone or get online and complain, that's not going to help. What will help is, as this guy said, contacting them and do it respectfully, politely, or politely, uh, and with a helpful attitude. And in terms of where to do that, um, honestly, their contact information is right out there. It's I'll leave a link in the show description, but they have on the Idaho Vision Game website, a contact page. They have phone numbers, emails, addresses, everything. So if you want to send a letter, send an email, make a phone call, uh, I highly encourage folks to do it. I don't, I don't think it's hard to find their contact information. Um, I think you could even call and ask for the best way to provide your feedback. That could be helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I fully encourage people to do that. It's one of those things that just, I don't know, the online complaining is not helping anything. So if you want to get serious about trying to affect a change or make your opinion heard, then do it the right way to the right people with the right attitude. I don't know if there's anything to add to that, Steve. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Yeah, they're just it's an interesting problem they're faced with they're you know idaho has always been an over-the-counter state for the vast majority of it and it was as awesome as a non-resident you know we're just and this obviously this is a new thing right this is just a trend that's happened over the last i don't know exactly five years four to five years um where these tag sales are just you know going bananas i mean you used to be able to just show up in october roll into a store buy your tag and go deer or elk hunting it wasn't this kind of crazy demand and then they're certainly in this crazy cycle right now of it's just selling out faster and faster every year and they've been trying to just slap band-aids on the problem um by you know what they've done the last few years and uh obviously there's some changes they need to make i don't know what where their head's at what direction they're leaning uh i don't want to see things go to a draw personally uh, but i don't i don't also also at the same time don't have an answer on what what a better solution would be so right now it, it is messed up that the, the the biggest complaint i have is not being able to like pick who you who you can hunt with right mm -hmm. like you know your father son you're like oh let's go to idaho it's like you're both buying that tag you know um trying to buy that tag and one of you may get it one of you may not yeah. um where if it was a draw system you can do a party application which is fantastic and that's not exclusive to non-residents a resident problem too like our our limited entry our capped zone tags that you know they go on sale and it's the same situation as non-residents it 
basically you, you get in line online and they give you a number and you buy it as fast as you can and you can't guarantee your you know father son get to hunt together or you get to hunt with your buddy um so it's not exclusive to the non-residents um yeah i don't know i'd like i right after all that happened i immediately I was like man I, we need to get a fishing game employee on here and just chat through what um what i mean i think it's clear what happened their servers crashed or whatever um but yeah. like what you know why did it happen uh <laughs> how do they not forecast for it and uh also what's the plan going forward which they are i'm any of the fishing game employees that i've met and talked with they're like they've got a lot i mean they've got a lot of issues faced they're faced with and they seem to be genuine people who care about having the best outcome for the most amount of people as possible right like they just you if you actually sat down and understood all of the problems they have or all of the issues they have to address they're not going to appease everybody um they're not it's not even going to come close to that but i do think it, they have a genuine like interest in doing the best that they can um and uh so yeah it'd be great to get somebody on from there and chat through um what they're kind of th- at least thinking like i'm sure they've got a you know three four five ideas of like these are the directions we could go mm-hmm. yeah i think you know the call it the current system the way they've been, they've been doing the things the last few years where waiting room get assigned a number etc cetera, etc cetera. without the technical issues of the system that they had this year i'm not saying it's perfect by any means it has major issues like you said party apps being one of them but it, it like at the end of the day if it were to functionally technically work and not have all the technical issues they had this year it's essentially a draw right like in mm-hmm. a way it's just instead of drawing a tag you're drawing your number and getting to choose what you want to hunt, right? Like the draw is everyone gets this random number. So it's a draw. It's just happening one day at one time. Uh, and then it's self-service, right? So again, it's not a perfect system. It has issues. It was just, I I think there's always going to be people complaining, right? Period. But the technical issues is really, really what, what killed things this year. And mm-hmm. And that's that's unfortunate. Um, it's really, really unfortunate because there there was legitimate issues with people not able to get in, you know, the the site not handling and allowing people to get in and get a number when they were supposed to. There was a lot of issues, but it really a lot of that boiled down to the technical the technical problems, which is really unfortunate. So yeah. a lot of suggestions, a lot of thoughts, a lot of they should have, could have, they should voice that to them not to banter (laughs) um let's wrap up with this steve there have this this is something that comes up pretty frequently with exo and i'd love to have you just share it give your take on it and it's funny because i had this question queued up from speak pipe and i'm not even going to play the question because this guy was so like matter of fact to the point he literally just said how come there's not a horseshoe zipper on every exo bag and then quite literally i was looking at emails before we hit record here and there's an email sitting in our support inbox and some and jeremy wrote and said <laughs> can someone tell me why the horseshoe zipper is not offered on the 6400 <laughs> you know certain people will just want a horseshoe zipper on everything so why yeah. do you not design that into Can't every please bag? everybody um wait number one reasons wait um doesn't add a, a lot of weight, but it adds some weight. That extra 
uh, curve of the zipper. Um, you know, it has like 2.2 ounces or something like that. Um, and you know, that's, you know, some, I'm sure there's a bunch of people like, Oh, I'd gladly take 2.2 ounces to add a horseshoe zipper to this or that. But, um, there's also plenty of guys out there who don't like, don't really have a preference for either or, or prefer the straight zipper. So it's just, uh, yeah, I, I like creating some distinct distinctions, distinctions between the bag sizes, um, all, as well as not only the bag sizes, but also some of the features in the bag. So as you're, you know, you can kind of like, well, I really want a horseshoe zipper, but I kind of want the, you know, I don't need something as big as a 4,800. Uh, the customer can go like, well, what's more important to me, the bag size or the horseshoe zipper and pick you know one or the other. Um, and I try to like boil down decisions to make them simple like that versus getting like too complex um, where people are like, just not sure which direction to go. So, um, but yeah, number one reasons weight. Number two um, also plays a role. We certainly over time, we will see more warranty issues on that horseshoe zipper. Um, it's just a lot more strain on a zipper to make a curve. Uh, anytime you saw that radius in there, it just kind of torques on the zipper more. And that's certainly um an issue that is just part of the deal um but uh um yeah th those would be the only two reasons that off the top of my head why i don't so wait yeah. and um it does they're harder you know, to produce reduce. like it's not easy to sew those yeah it's more expensive to sew um we've gotten our sew shops have gotten much better at it over the years but it's um sewing's not uh a black and white thing right like you could have two different sewers, two different sewing machines, the exact same patterns and, and have the end product be something that is measurably different, right? Um, there's a lot of actual skill and, um, and hand input into how that's stitched together that, um, uh, it's when you're, when you're doing those big curves or horseshoe zipper, um, we actually have to tweak the pattern because the, the inside or the outside fabric stretches a little bit more. The inside one shrinks a little bit more as you run around that corner and, um, yeah, things can kind of end up crooked on it. So, yeah. um, we've got that pretty well solved now, um, for sure. Er, early on, we'd have some bags where you go to buckle the webbing on and it was like the webbing is kind of crooked and like, what the hell is that from, you know? And then that's kind of the origins of tracing, like how, what was going on. And, um, but, uh, yeah, wait and, uh, trying to reduce, add that feature, reduce the war potential warranty exposure down the road by only offering on a few bags, um. And again, not, not like, I really don't have a preference for either, or I actually, I really like things just simple. Um, and that the straight zipper on our 3,200 and 6,400 is, is totally fine for me. I don't really have an issue with it. Here's one that people overlook too, that I, when people are maybe debating which one to go with, I, I bring up if they're talking about the Hershey zipper is it does, um, it changes the design of the front stretch pocket. So if you take a 4,800, yes, yeah. the stretch pocket is there. It, it has zip access, but it's also narrower. So we have to fit the front stretch pocket within the horseshoe panel. Whereas if you go to a 3,200 or 6,400 with the side zipper, you actually get a wider stretch pocket um, in its top entry on those, but you have just flat out more space. You can fit a wider item in it or just have a bit more volume in general in the stretch pocket when you don't have the horseshoe zip. So that's something that a lot of people just overlook. And again, for some people, they may not care, but it's something I try and bring up because it is another difference um, is that front stretch panel. So 
Awesome. Well, we'll wrap this one up there, guys. We got a bunch of great questions that uh, we want to continue to address for you and a bunch that we have on the list to get to, but we're always wanting to hear more. So if you have a question for us, it could be about EXO, it could be about hunting gear in general, strategy, future tags, etc. Um, we've, <laughs> we've had some crazy off the wall personal questions where I haven't answered those sometimes. So whatever you want to hear, let us know. We thank you for tuning in. If you do have a question, just send an email to podcast at xomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can use whatever device you're on right now to leave us an audio message. If you are enjoying the show, it does help us tremendously. If you just leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app you're in, uh, that does go a long way or just tell a friend about the show if you think they could benefit from it as well. Finally, hit follow if you haven't yet so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.